Welcome to The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club. Here to check in with you weekly to share your remote working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and acknowledge that there's many of us outside of your living room, kitchen, spare room, car, all sailing through this crazy storm together whilst trying to be the best coach, leader and manager we can be. I'm Susie Hunt, business coach, leadership and sales mentor at Future You Coaching currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a one-year-old who certainly doesn't like being questioned. And I'm Lisa Robinwood, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo that suffocates rather than advocates. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment, masks and social distancing measures most definitely included. Each episode will present different topics, which we will explore and discuss with some support from some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips as we go. We won't tell you what to do because we hate that, but we will share and invite you to take away what you want. We hope you enjoy listening. In today's episode, we explore the subject of managing change for yourself and also helping others with this too, especially at the moment when our changes keep on changing. So stay with us and enjoy. Susie, welcome back. I'm glad you're with us. I've missed you. And it's lovely to be uh, back together again, recording the coaching cast and obviously having some excellent conversations. So how are you doing? Hi, thank you so much. Yeah, it's brilliant to be back. Uh, Sorry for my little hiatus unplanned for a couple of weeks. Thank you for holding the fort as well. Yeah, it's been uh, been a bit of an intense couple of weeks. So I think um, for those of you who follow us on Instagram, you would have seen that uh, unfortunately I had an appendicitis and so got taken into hospital and had some surgery to, to whip it out and, and get it sorted, which, uh, which it did. Uh, and so, yeah, I spent um, about six days in hospital hospital um but I'm home now and on the road to recovery feeling much better and uh, getting kind of stronger every day so yeah all good and I'm excited to be back today recording with you I've missed it it's been um yeah it's been a bit sad not being able to kind of chat every week yeah well ditto agreed and I'm glad you're all right and uh yes to anyone who does follow us on Instagram and saw my announcement about Susie's situation I uh, just a small correction on the terminology I use because I have been laughing about my um erupted appendix which I don't think is the formal medical term I think as Susie has already corrected me it is a ruptured uh, but yeah so sorry to anyone out there who did notice that and found that particularly irksome uh, and thank you for not ousting me but yes, it wasn't an erupted appendix. So I don't even know what that would be if it did exist. It was a ruptured appendix. To be honest with you, that sounds a lot more exciting than what it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said to you, I had to explain what had happened because I thought if I vaguely said you're in hospital, people would just assume you had COVID and you didn't yeah. have COVID. You didn't have COVID. No, 
Susie, no COVID, hopefully. Nice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So Susie had uh, something else that still continues to exist in a COVID world. So despite <laughs> all of us only believing that COVID now is the only thing that you can contract as a human being. Yeah. There are still all the other ailments out there, sadly. Yeah. And it was an appendicitis, not COVIDitis. Random ailments. Because apparently you don't even need your appendix now. Like it's not even a functioning like thing in your body it doesn't do anything it's like from historic times when we used to eat like too much grass really weird i know um, it's one of those biological parts of human beings that have never been evolved out it's yeah stuck around i don't think human beings have used their appendix for like hundreds thousands of years thousands of years probably not hundreds i don't think i've ever read any record of a time when a human being actually did use it <laughs> like neolithic is that even a thing is it neolithic is that what you say oh god now i'm gonna really embarrass myself i don't know whether that is even a thing <laughs> whatever when men and women obviously not being sexist used to hunt out of caves okay <clears throat> okay yeah no i think there's definitely like a story and background behind the role of the appendix 100 percent. but i'll tell you what something that you don't use it flipping hurts when yeah, it goes wrong well this is it <laughs> <laughs> considering how intelligent human beings have apparently become although i'm not sure if i'm supporting that statement now in anything i've said <laughs> in the last five minutes you would have thought that our bodies would have thought you know done something about the appendix and removed it by now but no we still carry the thing and yes as you said as you pointed out it's actually a bloody dangerous thing so <laughs> the fact that we have this potential ticking time bomb well, hopefully not. Hopefully not for others. But yeah, um, true. I don't wish this on anyone. Yeah. I also spent my birthday, my 36th birthday in hospital as well, which was depressing. Um, just, a, just a top off the situation. <laughs> as if 2021 couldn't have got more like miserable. You've, you've, uh, you've surpassed all all expectations of that I think with your the only skin. way is up yeah now like honestly but I have to say I do have to call out two people because um obviously my family my friends and my husband my parents have been absolutely amazing um but also my two friends Pippa and Katie who I know listen to this podcast Aww. they delivered me a little set of balloons and uh, to the ward they couldn't come in because obviously because of COVID yeah. um and I couldn't go out but they delivered me some balloons on my birthday to cheer Aww, me up and so they really nice. did um, so yeah, I just wanted to, uh, publicly say thank you very much. Cause that was, uh, honestly such a nice little gesture. It really, uh, cheered me up on, on my quite frankly depressing birthday. What a pair of legends. What a pair of legends. That's true friendship right there. It really is. So thanks girls. Who's then didn't like sneak you like some, a cheeky bottle or something. No, but I did ask the tea lady if she had any Sauvignon in, <laughs> hidden away at one point where I was just desperate to go home and I was just like, I need to have a change of scenery and I need a drink. Uh, but she didn't. Sauvignon. Any particular region that you wanted your Sauvignon? No, just... Just anything, anything, to be honest with you. Um, and she said if she did have some, she would have drunk it herself already. So there wouldn't have been any available to put in my tea. So I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah. But uh, no, everyone's been amazing. Thank you all so much for um, your support and, and for looking after me, especially to my husband. So, yeah, but we're all good. We're all good in the hood. We're on, we're on, the, on the road to recovery now. So um, hopefully that is it for the 
for the moment. But I know um, you've obviously been holding on the fort. So how's how's things been with you? Well, I can't really top you and your thoughts, <laughs> to be honest. And it would be shameful to even try, uh, considering you're the one that's been in hospital and had major surgery, and I've just been here. So what I haven't really got anything to share that I think is it like as I said, it's credible that it actually helped me to build up my audience following without sounding like a self-absorbed <laughs> you've not got any uh, middle-class food stories today like oh, we, had, no. we had the jerusalem artichoke last time we we were together oh no and no one has replied to that conundrum oh so, okay quite sad about that clearly haven't got the support i was looking for for the <laughs> jerusalem artichoke there's you know it's still available to message me on that subject it's still relevant it's still current for me yeah today's episode is actually all centered on um the subject of managing change um so should we uh, get into it yep let's go let's do it so as i said today's episode we explore the subject of managing change for yourself and helping others with this too especially at the moment when our changes just well they keep on changing a topic which has always had a place and a role in our working lives even more so in recent times back in 2015 i was introduced to a book at a team building workshop called who moved my cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. It has a catchy title and it takes less than an hour to read. Absolute bonus. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amusing and enlightening story of four characters who live in a maze and look for cheese to nourish them and make them happy. The cheese is a metaphor for what you want in life or in your career. And the maze is where you look for what you want. The book is focused on anticipating change, adapting to it and enjoying change again and again and again. It helps see change in a different light. It's a book I've certainly had fun with and used with teams I've managed when we have been experiencing that inevitable change. So Lisa, one of the um, kind of small parables in the book or statements is when you stop being afraid of change, you feel good. So how do you feel about this statement? I think, to be honest, it's quite a controversial statement Mm. because I think everyone deals with change very differently. And to expect or maybe maybe not expect, I don't think that's what the parable is, is trying to do. I think what it's setting people up for is the aim of feeling great about change. And yet I think with change, everyone experiences it very differently and to set that goal for everyone is in some respects possibly unachievable so I'm sure many of people who have worked in a corporate business environment is familiar with the change curve because I do think corporates love to roll out the change (laughs) curve whether that be in the traditional sense of the diagram where you've got you know the curve and the different stages you may go through on that curve or whether people have seen the jelly baby tree which is not a personal favorite of mine I have to admit mainly because those little jelly babies I think are really creepy so it just doesn't <laughs> I don't connect with it but I think the sentiment is right which is trying to demonstrate that everyone goes through a different experience when it comes to change so I think 
for some individuals, change is exciting and it's interesting and they love it. And I think it's typically when individuals love variety and like to get stuck into new things. I know I can be a little bit like that, as in I see change as something new, shiny, new challenge, get stuck into it, breaks up maybe some of the monotony I'm finding in other parts of my job. Yeah. But for other people, change is really quite scary. It's unsettling. It creates anxiety. And I think, obviously, in this situation that we've been in, where, as per the title of the podcast today, changes are changing yeah, actually that relentlessness of change can be so tiring. And actually what it never allows for is your change to take hold and to be established and therefore to see the results of what you've achieved potentially come to life before you're changing it again. And that can just be, as I said, so exhausting and actually really frustrating So in respect of the change curve, which I referenced, another way to describe the way in which we cope with change, I've actually taken from mindtools.com, which is escape coping and control coping, which I think is a more succinct way of classifying how we individually deal with what goes on during change internally. So escape coping and control coping, I think escape coping probably sounds a little bit more obvious in respect of what that is, which is very much moving away from the situation, wanting to hide from it and wanting to pretend in many ways it's not happening. So it's that attitude in some respects of if I don't face into it, if I pretend it's not happening, then it's not. And then there's control coping, which is looking at how can I get involved in this situation, be a part of it and therefore have a say in it so that you're connected to it, you can influence it and therefore be under more control. Because I do think one of the strongest feelings of anxiety comes in change from feeling out of control of the situation. And A couple of years ago, I worked in an organization where we went through an intense period of change that lasted for two years, if not a bit longer, where as a leader and as part of a leadership team, I was being expected to lead on very large changes repeatedly over a prolonged period of time and changes that impacted a a huge department of individuals. There were a hundred people in that at the time. And putting myself in a position of control was my coping mechanism for getting through it. Because at the end of the day, especially when you're in a leadership position, you can be expected to lead and deliver change that actually sometimes you just don't agree with. And that can be a really difficult time to really get an understanding, you know, in terms of a very difficult time in respect of, fulfilling your role and responsibility as a leader when there's such a big expectation on you. I know the change curve that I generally go on is one of contemplation to consider, well, what's going on here and trying to absorb it. So trying not to overreact or rather react at all. Overreact is probably an unfair thing to say, but try not to react and absorb the situation, process it, and then consider my thoughts around it and how I can deliver on it which I do think is easier said than done and during that particular example during those two years 
I had many frustrated outbursts within the safety of my management team and at Mm. home, I might add, in respect of what my true thoughts were about it. But once I'd got to grips with it and could create a logic around it, that's when I was able to move forward. So I think it's so important when it comes to change to take that time to pause and process Mm. and to manage yourself around reactions. I'm not saying don't allow yourself to react because it's so important that you do, but really give yourself space and a safe space to do that in so that actually you do help yourself and don't essentially do the opposite and let yourself down and react or say something you regret later on. I think it's then about really thinking how can I get involved in that change? How can Mm. I create a position for myself within it and a responsibility so that you can immerse yourself in action and make sense of it? Mm -hmm. I think that enables you then to start to become a lot more connected with it and feel good about it. So to the point you originally asked in the book, I think that is how to help yourself in change and Mm. obviously at this at this moment in time when things are changing continually that takes a lot more work to achieve I think yeah yeah definitely I think the sentiment behind that parable is valid um but I don't think you can take it that literally especially at the moment in the times that we find ourselves living in um and I've, I've been through it as well, actually, when you, when you talk about having to implement change that you don't always necessarily buy into yourself or you don't agree with. Um, and actually, when, especially because we're coaches um, or anybody who's been coached as well, sometimes a lot of what you do is like value exploration. So things you explore, the values that are really important to you as individuals And so when perhaps there's change like forced upon you, which conflicts with things that you hold, you know, dear to you or or your values, you can sometimes find that really difficult to then have to go and implement and process because it's not natural to kind of the way that you would do it or the way or things that, you know, are important to you. And so I think that's um, a really important kind of takeaway from what you said around kind of getting or putting something in place which allows you to kind of come out the other side where you do then buy into it where you have fully considered it and can can be convincing when you need to talk about it to others because people will see straight through that if you you know if you do have to say for example implement a a more official change program you know people will but see straight away in your eyes whether you believe in it or not A hundred percent. I think that's such a valid point. I know that when I've been given change or Mm. communicated change, the changes that I have struggled to connect with are those where I haven't believed in the reasoning, the logic, the story, the narrative, how you want to describe it from the individual leading it. And that is especially apparent when the delivery has not been considered and you can tell that the individual sharing the change has not taken the time 
or the consideration to really think about the communication and the style of communication and how they're going to share it with individuals. Yeah. It's like you say, we're not, none of us are stupid. I actually think what we're all really good at is reading body language. I think we all have that skill greater than any other when it comes to receiving information. So you may not understand words and certain styles of language, but you can read someone's physicality instantly. Mm -hmm. Eyes, face, body. So I think if you really haven't thought about it as a instigator of change, a leader of change, then it's likely that you will lose that engagement from individuals very quickly. You'll lose that impact of what you're trying to move towards and and deliver against. And I think as well, actually, it's important for us at, at this point, maybe just to note that change can be both formal, so like official change programs, but also can be informal as well. And so that could be, for example, implementing a new way of working within um, your team or within the organization. Um, or it could be, um, you know, implementing a new set of like job performance standards, for example, um, which going to take some time to launch and embed and uh, really enhance the culture that everybody's working in. But those points are still valid, whether you're having to implement a more formal change program, which is um, perhaps has more significant consequences, both you know, positive and maybe in some forms negative, but also informal change as well, I think. Absolutely. Going back to your point about values, which I think is a valid one, have you got an example of what, you know, to bring that to life in terms of what you're meaning by values? Yeah, so I think um, I was asked to implement uh, a few years ago some change, uh, a change programme um, into kind of an area that I was heading up at the time. But I hadn't been involved in that change. So I hadn't had the ability to input and um, make influence in terms of what it was that we were kind of working towards. And so for me as an individual who then had to go and communicate that, one of my values is about that I hold dear is about transparency and and, uh, kind of respect to other people. And I found that really difficult because I felt like I was in a place of conflict where um, because I hadn't been able to be fully transparent in terms of what I would do or my ideas or my suggestions into the plan, that when I was trying to explain why we were doing something and where we were trying to get to and what the benefit of it was, I, could, I couldn't do that with confidence and integrity because I didn't really believe it. And, and that really conflicted with me around um, that value of, of being as kind of completely transparent as I possibly can. So like in my everyday life, you know, I am who I am. I don't really put on a different persona when I'm at work or when I'm in a different environment. I'm, I am quite completely transparent. So I found that quite difficult um, when I was in that situation. So yeah, hopefully that kind of brings that to life a little bit more. So ultimately you couldn't fulfill the value of transparency because you hadn't in your self been given or treated with that value because yes. they hadn't enabled that change to be transparent to you in terms of its logic, reasoning, yeah. purpose for you yeah. to be able to share that onwards. 
Yeah. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't fundamentally um, disagree with the change, actually. But I did have some conflict about the plan for how it was going to be communicated and how it was going to be managed. Mm -hmm. And I found that bit, because I think it's centered more around the people, I found that bit the hardest to Mm -hmm. kind of deal with. And I think what you have started to raise there is a really, really key point about the implementation of change. Mm -hmm. And I think so often in my experience, what organizations have been very quick to do is communicate what the change is going to be, but not clarified how that change is going to be delivered. Yeah. And I think what's so important when you're talking about implementing change is actually sharing with individuals the plan to get there to manage their expectations because so much anxiety is created unnecessarily from Mm -hmm. a lack of information because people will hear the change they'll hear what they would like to in that and without a plan for how to get there and what it's going to look like and what it's going to involve people will start filling in the gaps and as human beings, we generally tend to go to the negative, not to the positive. Mm-hmm. We, we catastrophize in our own minds all the worst things that could possibly happen. And I think even with informal change, like you mentioned there in terms of changing team structures, as soon as you start saying those words, people can have a tendency to think about redundancies. Even when the word hasn't been mentioned, <laughs> Or they'll think of how will it change my job role? How will it change my responsibilities? And if people really love what they do, that will be quite frightening. And I know I've seen it before in organizations where so much anxiety has been created unnecessarily just simply from leaving things out. Yeah, I've seen it too. I've seen it too. That that being being really clear around that, so what? So what does that mean for people? If that is missed, or there's an element of vagueness around it and you know the jungle drums will just absolutely go wild and people will speculate and speculate to your point and uh, build more and more uncertainty and, and anxiety and I think that is the step in my experience having both implemented a change and also been a you know a Um, a person who's experienced it as well where if that piece is left out or not managed correctly it can have a significant impact absolutely I I know what um, I always state in those scenarios when it comes to change is the preparation that goes up front has got to be substantial Mm. and it should never be disregarded I know in organizations, you operate under pressure and you operate on time constraints, no more so than in the last 18 months, I think. But that shouldn't take away from the time spent on preparation and thinking about how you're going to communicate it to people. I I think telling a story is one of the best techniques to utilize. So take people through the start, the middle and the end that you're trying to reach. It doesn't have to be completely detailed. And I would even argue you should be upfront and honest if you know it's not and just call it out because actually that shows honesty and I think it demonstrates transparency 
that mm. says we haven't necessarily worked this all out yet we will do though and i think even more powerful is involving people in it and mm. inviting people to be involved because that enables them to move to the place of control coping that i was talking about before yeah. and being able to influence potentially the decision i know that can't always be the case that people will have the opportunity to influence but even so i think inviting them in and having them involved and taking on responsibilities of delivering it really does make a big difference yeah so to build on that then as a as a leader how have you previously created a culture that's encouraged that so that people are in a in a place where they where they can embrace change so i think many of my peer group from previous roles will probably say that the way I've achieved this is being by being extremely stubborn within my management roles and in my management teams and being that voice of reason that challenged most decisions we made because of wanting to get the best outcome for all of us and for wanting to ensure that as a leadership team, we were demonstrating truly, I think truly honest, strong leadership to the people who we looked after and that we could demonstrate that we took that seriously. So I know I made things difficult, I think a lot of the time, because I wouldn't stand for rolling out a change that I didn't feel we'd thought through. And and a lot of that was not just the actual change and being really clear that we were understanding of why we were doing it and that the outcome was going to be better than the current situation we were in, but that we had really scrutinized our communication plan. So that often involved making sure that at a time before COVID, clearly we could all be present on the same day, that we could get everyone together, that we could talk to people personally, that we could each share in that messaging. You know, if you're in a team of leaders looking after a large department, I think it's so important that you all gather together and you align so that you show strength of leadership. If that's not possible and it's just you on your own, then fine, you can still do that. You can still do the preparation, but I think it's being really clear on why are we doing this? Who does it impact? What's the time frame? What are the steps going to be? And what's the outcome we're going to achieve? Yeah. And I think ensuring that people on that timeline are clear when further updates are going to come so that they stay informed and involved. I think when it comes to change, it's so important that you over-communicate. <laughs> I don't mean in yeah. terms of look there are always going to be things that are sensitive that you can't share I'm not being unrealistic around that point but that doesn't mean that communication disappears altogether you communicate the things you can communicate and as I said I, I would encourage oversharing on that point I think from every big change that was ever communicated we delivered it personally yeah then we sent a follow-up in writing to everyone and then we checked in with everyone afterwards individually to ensure it was understood and to capture any questions and concerns so that we could nip that in the bud straight away and then we stayed in contact with people giving regular updates and checking in with everyone and I think that 
achieved the end result that we were looking for. Yeah. And, and enabled people to join the change. Well, you essentially put, tried to put yourself in other people's kind of shoes and think about how others, what would be important to them going through that process and what they might want to need to hear and have mm. from that kind of leadership team, which I think is is crucial because another another element of that, which I've certainly experienced both myself and also done myself as well, which is a learn for me, is I think that element of catch up. So what I mean by that is sometimes, especially if you're trying to implement a large ch- in a significant change program, you've been working on it for a really long time, probably with some colleagues, and it's all you've lived and breathed for probably, you know, a couple of months leading up to it. But others haven't. So when you then get to the point where you communicate it, that's the first time they've heard it. And for you, because you've been, you know, living with it and wrangling with it for probably, you know, a long time, that you have to give others time to catch up as part of your plan. And I think what you're saying there in that example in terms of that comms piece is that you made sure that there was an opportunity for others to do that and to catch up and to be in the same at the same point that perhaps you and, and some of the rest of your senior colleagues were because you know you have been living with it for for a lot longer than other people may have have been and I think that's important to have that patience uh, and allow people to ask those questions and, and feel like they're being answered in a way that's not particularly you know rushed as well I think that's such a good point and um, Actually, that is what we aimed to achieve in the changes we rolled out was it was that we're going to deliver the change notification now, but the change itself will happen in two weeks, four weeks time. And that was exactly to achieve the point you've just made. It was to enable those that it was going to impact to catch up which I really actually like in the way you describe it. It was an, it was there to enable them to absorb what was going on, mm. get comfortable with it and have time to express, as I said, how they were feeling and any worries or concerns. And I, I appreciate we're probably being a bit vague here when we talk about change programs. The changes I'm making reference to predominantly in these examples were team structure changes. So it was getting the department and changing it into different team setups, moving people around both physically and potentially in roles. So all of it was impacting on people. So I think, which, I mean, invariably all changes impact people somewhere, but these were very specific people moves. And so actually it was even more critical that you gave people the chance to absorb and understand and process because that was the only way in my opinion to enable the change to take place successfully mm. you need people to be on side because it won't happen otherwise it might yeah. happen on the surface but underneath you'll have all of that conflict running around and I think be really destructive as well so destructive because I think if you don't get that right you'll be fixing it for a long time and in business that can cost you a lot money people culture the lot 
Yeah. Just because you didn't think about it enough. Respect, loyalty. I think, you know, managing employees through change is an art. It is an art of leadership. Mm. It, it takes intuition. It takes skill, strong listening skills, like you've talked about, effective communication. And when it's done well, it can really... Um, flip a relationship and especially with a line manager and you can kind of really gain respect and loyalty from the people that you're managing if it's done really well equally if it's not done with an element of empathy through an element of thinking through what does this mean for for these these people and how do I put myself in their shoes in terms of what might be important to them the questions they might ask it'll it'll go and it'll be really hard journey to rebuild some of those kind of building blocks of that relationship um which links in I suppose to my next question which is what would be some of your top tips for managing change this week successfully so I think I've I'm thinking about this in two different ways I think there's an element of thinking about it in terms of how to manage change for yourself as an individual in respect of really thinking about the scenario that we all find ourselves in at the moment where we're in uncertain situations with the pandemic, it's out of our control. I think when I think about individuals in terms of how to manage change, find a way to put yourself in it and gain a measure of control. So think about what role can I play in this? What are my responsibilities going to be? I think seek clarity and understanding to enable you to understand the logic because I think once you can make sense of it you can become more comfortable with it and then I think it's just giving yourself that space to to feel and react and process so don't rush it I think if you're a leader and you're having to initiate a change I think it comes back to what I've spoken about which is communication is everything so really think about what to communicate think about the language you're going to use because language is so emotive and actually has an influence on how you carry yourself so I would say think about the communication and actually over communicate so as I've said tell people personally that is number one don't just send it out in an email tell people personally yeah follow it up with writing so that people can then process it in their own time. And what you can then be confident about is the accuracy of what you've said and the fact that that has been shared and and duplicated correctly to everybody in the same way. So ultimately, people will listen and take away from verbal communication what they want to hear, but they can't argue the written word. So I do think that helps to embed what you're trying to say I think do think about telling a story yeah so take people with you in the change you're trying to deliver so to your point Susie around you may have been processing the change for a long time others haven't so help them get up to speed quickly so I think help them to understand where this has come from why it's happening and what you envisage is going to happen next if you know for sure be really specific if not be honest and say that there are gaps and what's going to happen about that and ultimately the objective that you're trying to achieve so people can see where they're going and get people involved whatever is appropriate and suitable 
I think give people roles and responsibilities in the change, give them a sense of purpose within it so that they can own it, make it theirs, because that's what I think will deliver the change more successfully. Okay, great. So I think we've got some great top tips there for both individuals and leaders. So we will get them on the board. So to summarize, here are three suggestions for you this week. If you are an individual and you are going through an element of change in uh, your career or personal life, here are three top tips for you this week. Number one, find the role and responsibility within the change uh, to make it work for you. Number two, Try and seek as much clarity and understanding as you possibly can to help you gain back that most important control. And number three, find a safe space to react. It's fine to react, but just need to make sure that you do it with people around you who love and support you. uh, And it's better out than in. So find a a safe place to uh, potentially release some of those emotions. Great. And As a bonus for this week, we've also put together three top suggestions for delivering change if you are a leader and you are leading the implementation of change. So we've got number one, over communicate. So really prepare what you're going to say and think about how it sounds. Think about the language you're going to use and therefore how you're going to carry yourself while you're delivering the message. We recommend that you deliver it personally and then you follow that with written word to embed exactly the changes you've communicated. So whether that be email or via letter, whatever is most appropriate. The second one is storytelling. Start with the start, middle and end. That's what we're suggesting you talk through. Really explain the why, the what, the how and the when So you can manage people's expectations and you can bring them along with you. And don't forget that all important empathy. So really demonstrate that you have an understanding of how people may be feeling while you're communicating the change. And lastly, get people involved. Give them a purpose so that you are supporting them to achieve that all important control within the changes that are happening. It's now time for this week's listener question. This is where you, the listener, send us your workplace dilemmas or questions and we try and answer them and offer some suggestions. This week's listener question is from Steve in Manchester. So let's hear it. Hi Susie, hi Lisa, it's Steve here from Manchester. And my question is one which I think many people listening will be able to relate to. And it's to do with managing remote teams effectively. On the one hand, we're really keen to make sure that we're not overburdening our teams with back-to-back video calls. But on the other hand, we're really keen that we keep that sense of um, communication and collaboration between our teams and, and make sure that we're not becoming too siloed in our work. So my question is, how do we strike this right balance between our teams? Okay. I think that definitely is a question that, probably a lot of people are wrangling with. Lisa, what are your thoughts? I think the answer to this question actually lies within the question Steve asked, 
which sounds really cryptic. I don't mean it to, but Steve uses the word collaborate. And I think the key to the solution to this question is exactly that. So I would recommend asking the teams what they think. So what is working well for them at the moment or even has done in the past during this situation when it comes to communicating with one another what hasn't what do they want to do more of what do they want to do less of and actually I would ask them the question what is the right balance because I think that involves them in the solution and helps to create the the answer if you like that best works for everybody I think it's wrong to assume that people are burdened with multiple calls at the end of the day that is the only way we can communicate at the moment because we can't be together and there is going to be an element of having calls whether that be over the phone or over video to enable that connectivity to take place to be maintained and to support the collaboration. What have you got to add to build on that, Suze, to help Steve? So the only thing I'd say is about the balance of content versus frequency of those kind of um, catch-ups and calls. So making sure that you've got that balance of it absolutely just being about work and and moving forward on things, but also an element of of personal or fun um, kind of interactions within there as well and, and mixing it up in terms of it doesn't necessarily always have to be Zoom, doesn't always necessarily have to be on Teams. You could do um, a walk and talk, which I know we've talked about on previous episodes. You could do a stand-up uh, meeting where everyone's just stood up, not sat down, just changes the dynamic and the energy of things if you think that's needed. But to Lisa's point, I think um, actually asking the people that you know you're involved with whether the balance is right is probably the, the most important step and then modifying it from there um, we talk a lot about manage, uh, working from home effectively in the pilot episode so um, there's probably a few hints and tips in there as well if you perhaps would like to give that one an episode to listen as well but I hope that gives you some some food for thought Steve around um, kind of striking that right balance Absolutely. So if those of you who are listening have your own thoughts on this question from Steve and would like to share, or if you have a question that you would like us to answer, get in touch and email us at hello at thecoachingcast.uk or you can send us a message on Instagram at thecoachingcast. It's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which quite frankly, make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is, drumroll please, going the extra mile in the context of working longer means you have worked harder. Now, this gem was given to us by one of our listeners, Holly, who contacted us on Instagram. So thank you so much, Holly. Uh, we wanted to 100% use this one, going the extra mile. Uh, Lisa, have you come across this um, bullshit bingo phrase? <laughs> so many times. Oh, my goodness. I think it's so dangerous as well, because I think it sets this precedent that working for longer 
is a positive and should be celebrated. I hear it less so in the current situation. I do think organisations have been a lot more conscientious around individuals' well-being and people taking a rest because the pandemic has been so relentless and people have been stuck at home and, you know, locked in at home as it is at the moment. And I think there's more recognition now for taking breaks, changing sceneries and giving yourselves a rest. But I do think historically this has been a really dangerously used phrase, especially when it's come to reward and recognition. Mm. So in terms of when giving out specific reward whether that be in the terms of gifts definitely this has come under the guise of that person's gone the extra mile and I don't think it's healthy and even more so now yeah I would agree I think I've um I think for me it kind of automatically feels a bit of an archaic statement and actually one that in some instances might breed the wrong behavior so if you're just constantly on this hamster wheel of work you know you could burn out at some point that's not healthy or sustainable so you know maybe rewarding that in in some instances is not the right thing to do so yeah um it's definitely a bullshit bingo for me it's also vague going the extra mile (laughs) because i in my head i know when i heard it what i didn't often connect with was what going the extra mile actually meant. And it was used so frequently for such a plethora of things, none of which were vaguely similar at times, that it was really hard to then be able to, in my opinion, measure it. I mean, the hilarity is, is that a mile is actually a form of measurement because it's it's a formal measure of distance. But obviously in a work context, it's totally irrelevant unless you run miles or walk miles as part of your job. But what it meant was, is that it then became such a subjective form of recognition because it Mm. didn't seem to relate to anything specific enough. And then you weren't clear about what was actually being rewarded. So I think when you reward someone to do it in earnest and do it really well, you've got to be really specific about what they've done and why that's worthy of being rewarded so that people can support it and also mirror it if it's a really yeah exactly yeah thanks for this one holly it's a good one thanks holly we really appreciate it and if you have a bullshit bingo which is getting really on your nerves and you would like us to include it in a future episode please get in contact So we are now coming to the end of today's episode where we've discussed the concept of change and how we can better prepare ourselves and those we lead to become more comfortable with managing either formal or informal change when it happens. So our tips from today for you to try are if you are an individual and you are experiencing uh, or going through uh, an element of change, we think you should, number one, try and find the role and responsibility within the change to make it work for you. Number two, try and seek clarity and understanding to help you give bring back a sense of control. And number three, find a safe place to react. And if you're a leader, we have three additional change suggestions for you to try to enable you to deliver the change successfully for those 
around you who are going to be involved. And that is number one, over communicate. We don't think you can communicate enough when it comes to change. So we've got communicate personally. We've got follow that up with email or a written word so you can really embed what you have said and ensure there's that consistency and that people can process that in their own time. And then really think about the language you're using because the language is going to be critical to the messages that get taken away. And it will also influence your body language. And as we've explored, people can read body language probably better than they can at times, the language and words. So it's crucial. The second one is storytelling. So really think about how you can adopt a storytelling style to deliver the change successfully. So think about the start, the middle and the end that you want to communicate to bring people along and think about how to articulate the why, the what, the how and the when. Don't forget the really important skill of empathy in that storytelling so that you can demonstrate you've considered how others may feel and that you are walking in their shoes. And then the last point is get people involved, give them a purpose. So really think about the roles and responsibilities that you can hand out to others so that they can be involved in the change and achieve control within that, because that is what will deliver it more successfully. And finally, try asking yourself the following three questions to help you. Number one, who is impacted by any changes coming up? This can include yourself and also others. Number two, how ready are you or others for where you are heading? Number three, how can you help yourself or others become better engaged with change? Remember, you can try this on yourself first to practice and get comfortable and then give it a go with those you manage or work with. We hope you've enjoyed listening and have some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. So please contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard, then please give us a like comment and most importantly subscribe to future episodes please also tell your friends families and colleagues about the coaching cast and encourage them to have a listen in our next episode we're going to be discussing emotional intelligence and leadership specifically managing thoughts and emotions and when it's right to share and when it's right to keep it all in and we've got some fantastic leadership examples of what not to do and what to do to talk about with you we both love music and use it to motivate and energize us so we like to finish each episode with our personal song recommendation giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next zoom or teams meeting it's my choice this week and i have chosen chosen everybody dance remix by cedric gervais and franklin featuring niall rogers absolute banger of a tune <laughs> it'll lift you right up especially if you've just had your appendix out uh, it's a great uplifting tune so please go uh, take a listen thank you so much for listening to today's episode on how to manage change have a great week and remember you've got this